You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, welcome to Catholic Saints, the show where we have a conversation about Catholic saints, heroes and heroines of our Catholic faith through the 2,000-year history of the faith. And today we're talking about St. Maximilian Colby, one of the best-known saints of our modern era. I know so many children named Max or Colby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think because of his great inspiration. My name is Ben Akers, and I work here at the Augustine Institute along with my colleague, Dr. Sean Inneris, who's a great professor in our Catholic graduate school here. Sean, thanks for joining me today. You bet, Ben. Great to be here. Uh, Maximilian Colby. So he's born in 1894, dies in 1941. Yeah. Just to kind of give our viewer, if you haven't heard of this great saint, yeah. context. Um, where, where should we start? There's so many wonderful things to talk about with, oh, with, man. with Colby. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, I think people don't often appreciate uh, how important a cultural figure mm. he is, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and when he appears, in church history is a period of particular foment. Hmm. You know, obviously, uh, St. John Paul um, referred to him as the, the patron of our difficult century, right? Hmm. Um, referring to the 20th Lasset, century. Yeah. And, um, and it, there's, there's so much in that statement, it's, it's almost hard to unpack. Um, obviously, he finds himself at the very central uh, event World War II, mm -hmm. a victim of that conflict, a kind of iconic of you know the 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 whole world of victims that were you know caught up in that meat grinder, which was that horrible World War. Um, but but there's so much in Colby that reaches back in time, um, you know, to the century prior, um, and represents a kind of prophecy of what might possibly come, and so there's. So he's really an immense figure. Um, I would say of the stature of John Paul himself, hmm. right? In terms of his um, the import of his life, his spirituality, I, I I think it'll take us really some more time to recognize the significance of Saint Maximilian Kolbe. Wow! But that's saying a lot. No, that, saying no, a that's great deal. no, that's a beautiful intro. <laughs> I, I I really do. So he is. Born into a Catholic family, yeah, yep. in what is modern day Poland, but I don't think yep. it was Poland at the time, right? Yeah, it was under he, it was, Russian. It was under Russian control, so it was yeah. part of the empire of of Russia at the time, and uh, and his father actually ended up being killed because he transgressed um, the loyalty they were supposed to have for Russia, and he ended up uh, dying as a fairly young man in in one of the conflicts that were raging across those borders in those mm -hmm. days it was a very complicated uh, political situation um but but uh yeah so so once again um it it's a it's a point of confluence right yeah. the you know the the struggle between uh russia eventually becoming the soviet union germany uh all the events that are that are happening in that cauldron which is central europe at the time but also, once again, as we said, the you know the cultural influences of the time, you know the the issues of Marxism, Hegelianism, mm -hmm. all those philosophical currents, um, the problem of Freemasonry, which was sort of a particular thing which he felt he had to oppose, 
um, and his particular way of throwing himself into the struggle against these these world historical movements um, is 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 really quite dramatic. Um, once again, a simple Franciscan yeah. living in poverty, um, but very much a man, a modern man in many ways, right? One of the things that I was struck by was just how creative he was in trying yeah. to get the gospel, mm-hmm. like to defend the faith against right. those who would accuse it of, you know, people that are Catholic of being simplistic or, you know, an ancient faith that's not relevant today, but also winning new souls yep. and being missionary, going to Japan and India, yep. trying to win Catholics. And, but he's using modern, the means of communication that were yep. available to him. So that's he's, right. he's making a newspaper. Mm-hmm. He builds a city to try to like, you know, to, 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 <laughs> you know, right. to let's gather together and live together and, and live the faith. Um, yeah, but newspapers, radio, radio yeah. I think he did theater, mm-hmm. like, almost like a John Paul II. Figure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, once again, the, he had an avidity for souls mm-hmm. and and he wanted to use all the tools at his disposal and that, you know, modern culture was making available in order to advance that aim. And, and he had a very broad reach. You know, Poland is a is a Catholic country, right? So it wouldn't surprise us necessarily that hundreds of thousands of copies of his magazine are circulating throughout the country, you know. And and this is this is coffee table stuff, hmm. you know. If they have coffee tables, yeah, I don't right. know in in Poland at the time. So so uh, so he's getting into living rooms and uh, you know and in on people's radios. Um, and he's looking for ways to advance the gospel and his particular uh, Franciscan, Marian devotional approach to opposing these cultural currents that we've been talking about. And, uh, and he was very effective at it. And, and as you said, he, he built a city, right? Nipokawanov, mm. right? Uh, which is basically city of the immaculate. And, uh, and of course, that's his central concern. He he comes at Franciscanism from a particular devotion to the Immaculate Conception. So he builds the city of the Immaculate. It's it it's home to the largest monastic community in the world at the time, and um, and even in the way in which he approached religious life among the Franciscans, he was particularly kind of modern in his outlook. For example, he would get. Th- his uh, fellow friars out and uh, have them do jumping jacks in the morning, for example. Really? Yeah. So they, yeah. yeah, the importance of being physically fit sure. and, you know, uh, able to do the work they're given to do. So so it wasn't kind of this sort of frail, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> approach to, yeah. you know, uh, Christian um, uh, religious life. Right? Well, because he calls his his group the militia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So even like yeah. a very you know, oh, yeah. uh, soldier oriented. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, the militia immaculate, right, really means the army of the immaculate. Yeah. And he was moved to respond in that way because he was seeing the militancy of the forces on the other side. He started uh, the, the MI, right? Uh, in 1917, as the Freemasons were protesting out, outside the Vatican, right? And he was in Rome studying at the time and was so disturbed by what he saw because I, apparently uh, they had a large panel with Satan trampling down St. Michael the Archangel. Oh, wow. So the very reverse yeah. of the typical Christian iconography and, and claiming that they were going to destroy the church. And once again, interestingly, 
his particular response was not a political one, right? And even although he's very adept at using the cultural tools, a cultural one, it was particularly a devotional one, mm -hmm. a, a, a movement of piety. Um, the idea being to, uh, you know, to employ the power, the intercessory power of Our Lady to trample down uh, these forces of evil which were abroad in the world. And, uh, and once again, we don't often recognize the significance of this because, uh, because there were two things happening at the same time in, in the century prior, right? You have, you have uh, Marxism and even a century before that, Freemasonry beginning to rise and all the cultural influences of you know, religious indifferentism, what we call modernism is beginning to come to the fore. And at the same time that Pius IX, for example, Pio Nono, blessed mm. Pio Nono, yeah. because he's been beatified, uh, was uh, responding to those philosophical issues and theological issues, he also declared the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, mm. right, in 19, or 1854, yeah. right, just around the time when all these forces are coming into play. And I think Blessed Pius, Pope Pius IX recognized that this declaration of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception was one of the ways in which the church would arm herself against this onslaught. And Colby seemed to have had, you know, a, a clear intuition, a spiritual intuition, which may have begun already at the age of 12, because apparently had a vision of Our Lady at the age of 12, that, that Our Lady was the means by which um, these forces would be opposed in the modern world. That's beautiful. I, to, to mention that vision, I remember growing up, the first time I got, was introduced to Maximilian Colby, there was a, I think it was a Marvel comic book. <laughs> I think it was Marvel. Yeah, they did one on John Paul II. Well, that's one a Marvel. A, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. and on Maximilian Colby. And I remember the, it tells the story of Our Lady appearing to him when he's 12 years old and offering yeah. him two crowns. Yeah. One white and one that's red. Yeah. One for the, the white for purity and the red for martyrdom. Yeah. It said, which yeah. one would you like to wear? He said both. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want both. Must have looked kind of odd. On yeah, there. to wear both on top. But <laughs> but but he. I mean, this is you know that he lives that clearly the purity and singleness of heart yeah, yeah. in his life. But then we also know how the story ends with his martyrdom. But yeah, that's right. And obviously that was prophetic. Mm -hmm. um, and in an odd way, because one of the controversies at the time, this was also the case. He was beatified by Paul the Sixth in 1971, and Paul the Sixth had said. Um, had given him the title of confessor of faith, which is given to those who make great sacrifices for the faith, but don't die for it. Mm. And, uh, but it also referred to him as a martyr of charity. So kind of slipping him in right. under the martyrdom category. And, uh, and St. John Paul, when it came uh, to his canonization, really embraced the martyr of charity part, which is the red crown that he was offered at age 12. And I think he was probably moved by that vision that St. Maximilian had had, thinking, look, Our Lady's already said it's both white and red. Mm -hmm. um, so we should go all the way and declare him a martyr right. for the faith, even though he had really died as an act of love for a fellow inmate in Auschwitz taking his place in the in the starvation bunker. Yeah, let's fast forward to that. So yeah. he's he's in Japan, mm -hmm. health reasons, and he's 
you know, doing incredible work over the, yeah. Nagasaki is one of the yeah, places that's that right. he's, Nagasaki. he's working. Um, he, uh, because of health reasons, has to return to Poland. Yeah. So I think this, it's interesting how the Lord in his providence sometimes moves us to places that we don't <laughs> always expect, but yeah. for his goodwill and effect. So he goes back to Poland and he's resisting the Nazi regime as much as he yeah, can. Yeah, he is. I think he was, he was arrested and then spent some time in prison and then came out and they kept refusing to comply. Yeah, yeah he would not comply. Um, and, uh, and actually, even though most of the monks had left his city of the Immaculate, right? There were, I think there were only four of them left. Um, he turned it into a hospital to care hmm. for the needy and he ended up actually housing Jews. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there were, I, I think, two thousand Jews went through that place, right? And in, you know, in an, an attempt to protect them from the Nazi regime. Uh, th there were some claims later, actually, because of some of the things that he had written, that he had an anti-Semitic streak. This, this doesn't seem. <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. This, this, this doesn't fit. Right? Yeah. And he was asked specifically, you know, um, should we help the Jews? And he said, we're all brothers, hmm. right? Um, so it puts the lie to that claim very, very clearly. Um, and uh, he apparently could have um, escaped because his name was Kolbe, which is German, not Polish. Okay. His mother was Polish, his father was German, and he could have claimed uh, his German heritage and sort of escaped um, you know, the, the predations of the Nazis, yeah. at least in some measure. But he refused to do that because he, you know, he he continued to publish against uh, Nazi ideas and uh, and proposing, you know, the faith, and once again also uh, acting in the favor of of his Jewish brothers. So um, so he was fated, <laughs> right. first to be imprisoned, then to sent out, then to be sent out Auschwitz. So he says that he's sent to Auschwitz and he's there for a couple months. I think they give him the, the hardest and the dirtiest yeah. jobs of yeah. cleaning up terrible things, but you know, caring for the, the bodies and cremating yeah. them. And and a prisoner escapes. So for those who don't know the story, the, yeah. the, the, the a prisoner escapes and as punishment for the whole camp to send a message, I think, is it nine or 10? 10, I think. 10 or men will be replaced, you know, to replace mm -hmm. the one that escaped. Yeah. And famously, somebody else, he's not picked yeah, as that's the right. 10. Uh, but I think it's a man named Francis. Yeah, that's right. Which is interesting. He's a Franciscan, <laughs> yeah, brother for a brother. Right. You know, <laughs> and that he, and and who says, I have a wife and family. You know, yeah. he immediately protests. And Maximilian Colby famously, you know, take me. Yeah. I, I'm an old man. <laughs> Let him live. He has a wife and, and children. Yeah, and I think the commandant said something like, you're a priest. And and Colby said, "This is what a priest is for." Well, yeah, to lay down your life for another. Yeah. <laughs> so he's put into a starvation bunker. Yeah, and I think he's leading the other soldiers and exhorting them, encouraging them to face death, praying and, and singing, singing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So apparently, some of the witnesses, you know, said that you could hear, uh, you know, the the voices of those who were starving to death hmm. in the bunker. Uh, singing at the, you know, at the behest of, of Father Colby. And uh, and I guess a guy who was working in the camp as a janitor was able to see what was going on in there and testified that whenever they opened the door, he was either standing in the midst of them, 
leading in prayer or singing or kneeling in the midst of them doing the wow. same. So a, a remarkable <laughs> picture of fortitude. And and you know he had been um, he had been um, found to have tuberculosis as a young man. So he wasn't physically uh, strong. Right. Uh, he had always struggled with with uh, you know various illnesses. Uh, but there he was in the midst, uh, apparently holding up pretty well by God's grace. So two weeks go by. He's the last alive. I think there were, oh, were there, there a couple. Were, okay, there were four. I think in the end, who were and, still hanging on. And so they they uh, accelerate the death. Yeah, in, inserting acid. Yeah, right? carbolic yeah. acid. Carbolic acid in there. Yeah, and uh, I guess they needed the space for somebody else, mm. right? But they but. The testimony is that he extended his left arm to receive the the injection. He's he's patron of of drug users, by the way. Oh, because of a needle in the arm. Because of the the needle in the arm, yeah. Oh wow, what an inspiration! <laughs> for, I mean, to to <laughs> overcome that is that for? Oh <laughs> my, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, it's you know, when they found the body, it looked as if he was in ecstasy. Yeah, <laughs> his eyes were fixed. Yeah. His eyes were open. Yeah. And fixed at some certain point, maybe a mystical vision at the end of his life. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. fitting. But wouldn't be surprising. <laughs> I, I've been able to I've been blessed to be able to go to the the place he died. Oh wow, I haven't. So when I, my wife and I were blessed to go to Auschwitz, but it was it was in November and it was it had snowed. Yeah. So it was it was a very eerie and distressing day, mm -hmm. depressing day, because it was this camp. And these buildings are just like kind of normal buildings. If you didn't know what was going on, it's covered in snow. Yeah. But then you enter to the horror of the concentration camp and in particular his cell. And it was just dank and dark and yeah. dirty and nasty. Oh. And it was uh, really just the, the lowest of the low and in, 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 a, in the midst of human hatred towards others. Yeah. And he shines as this bright light of laying down his life for his brother. Yeah. And, uh, cremated on the feast of mm -hmm. Our Lady's Assumption. August You're right, because he dies on on her on the eve of her feast day, August 14th, which is his feast day. So if you like to yeah. celebrate, August 14th is his feast day. So what a beautiful gift I'm sure Our Lady gave him. Yeah. To be with her in heaven and on her feast day. Yeah, it, there are a number of places <laughs> where she promises that to those who are devoted to, hmm. you know, various aspects of the mystery of Mary, you know, her seven sorrows, yeah. for example. She promises to be at there at the moment of death for those who are devoted to her in that way. Well, I remember reading that one of his last words from a witness was Hail Mary. Yeah. And then at the Hail Mary, we do pray now and at the hour of our death. Yeah, that's right. And it's at a particular moment that now and hour of death will be the same. Yeah. And for him it was. Uh, how do you see his death fitting in with that, you know, that beautiful kind of painting of the historical scene in which we are relate to that? Well, he, um, yeah, it's a um, it's a martyrdom of charity, right? Um, a, a victimhood which represents, uh, I would say, the victimhood of that century, mm. right? I think that's what Saint John Paul was getting at. That that uh, Maximilian Kolbe, his faith, his hope, his love, um, his endurance. Uh, in the face of opposition is a kind of icon of what we're called to do. And specifically not, um, not just political or cultural resistance, which is part of what it means to be a Christian, right? We, mm -hmm. We're supposed to be engaged in the world and, and advancing the kingdom in its various expressions in the world, but, but not so much through um, 
political or cultural commitment, but through consecration, right? And that, that was his response, as I said before, to these anti-Christian forces in the world. Um, it's, uh, and, and there were people who were taking up arms in opposition, uh, in in some cases, you know, that would have been obviously, you know, in 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 opposition and resistance to Nazism, mm -hmm. right? The 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 Holocaust of the Jews, um, you know, that that's not something to which we would be opposed, right? Taking up arms in resistance of that kind. But his particular gift to the modern world is the the paradigm of resistance through consecration, rather mm -hmm. than. Uh, mere political resistance, right? That that we have to call upon forces which are superior uh, to those powers which are in the world, and uh, and that's the ultimate formula for for victory, right? right? In the end, and that's what his death represents, right? Victory over suffering, victory over victimhood, right? Victimhood transformed into. Christus victus, right, hmm. right. Christ, yeah. Christus victor, right. So he's he, uh, Christ is victorious even in in uh, in this, uh, even at this level of degradation. It's the th that's beautiful. The, the the thing that they that they couldn't resist and take what was his dedication and consecration to Our Lady. Yeah, that's and in right. the face of hatred, one of the quotes that's attributed to him is also the hatred is not a creative force, but yeah. love is a creative power. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That the, the only answer to that ultimate hatred and violence was actually to lay down like like what, what Christ yeah. does on the cross. Yeah, it's really exactly. Really, Christo so. form in his life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So he, he's he's a remarkable individual, and as I said, you know, I I have to admit I haven't really explored this very much, but but you know, they what we see at Fatima and what we see in in Kolbe, right? So you know, Fatima is Our Lady's peace plan, mm -hmm. typically so called, right? And uh, and in a certain sense, I think Kolbe represents the way in which to enter into that fully, right? Through Marian consecration and particularly to the Immaculate. Um, to whom this age has been given in a certain sense all the way back to 1854, and uh, which, who in uh, herself represents, um, you know, the, the church in perfection, the possibility of Christian life in complete uh, gift of self to Christ and conforming ourselves to his victimhood for the purpose of, you know, advancing um, the redemption, right? The, the the completed redemption in Christ, which yet needs to be fully expressed in the life of Christians. Oh, that's beautiful. Anything else that you'd like to share with the viewer, the listener about uh, Maximilian Colby's life or devotion to him? Um, well, uh, get <laughs> get his consecration to the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. Right. When I when I when I first. Um, when I first made the consecration to Our Lady, I used de Montfort, and that was back in 1989. And a few years later, I discovered Maximilian Kolbe, and I and I made the consecration, renewed my consecration to Jesus through Mary, using his formula um, through Marytown, which is in Libertyville, Illinois. It's okay. a place where, which has become, I think, a Kolbean shrine. And um, and I have to say. From that point forward, my life completely changed. So when I discovered Our Lady and made the consecration, so many of the spiritual struggles that I had faced 
uh, began to get easier mm. and life changed for me. I, I think I became a full Catholic Christian through consecration, I would say. And, and um, figures like de Montfort and Colby, um, I, th I think are important figures for our time because they introduce us to this deeper Marian reality in the life of the church, which is not an extra added dimension, but really of the essence, as the catechism says. And uh, so that aspect of his life, I think, is, is, the, is the critical element, the critical key, and that, um, that which the church encourages us to see in him and to continue in our own lives. Can't get a better endorsement than that. So thank you. Yeah, that's a great challenge point for you. Is you know, if you haven't done the consecration to Our Lady, De Montfort has one. The classic Maximilian Kolbe building off of that as well. Um, but thank you, Sean, for you for your yeah, thoughts uh, about uh, Maximilian Kolbe, and thank you for joining us. You can find these, this, and other stories that we have, conversations we have about Catholic saints on form.org, also where you find your podcasts. Thank you, and God bless. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.